Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So, who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Cool new shot here, Sam. What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty Split fancy. screen, little movement in the background. Working all right. iffy. Uh, Let's get into all the fun. Iffy um, video quality on my end because apparently cropping this close does not behave well with the uh, multiple years out of date iMac selfie camera. So we'll work on getting that HD upgraded in the future. Yeah, it might be uh, user error on your end. Mm, but all right, let's get into all. Let's get into all the fun. Free agency. We said we'd go team by team. We're going to push that. We'll probably push that to Thursday. Let's just get into broad strokes. A lot of stuff still happened since Thursday, since we were on the podcast. So let's get into some broad strokes, winners and losers, like everyone likes to do. We have to know who won and who lost in free agency, right, Sam? Absolutely. Um, so let's do it standard style. You give me, we'll, we'll alternate. You give me your case, I'll give you my case, and we'll. Uh, We'll sift through all the mess. I see your notes. There's some crossover here. So, all right, I'll let you. I'll let you go first. Who is one of your biggest winners so far in free agency? However, you want to interpret that. Well, here's the thing. The only acceptable answer for this is the Arizona Cardinals, um, and I know that you're going to hit that anyway. So I'll I'll kind of leave that to you. Um, the Cardinals, their only offseason mission was to find wide receiver help. And they got an all-pro wide receiver. And in order to make the trade happen, they managed to dump a contract they didn't want anyway. So they won this free agency and pretty much any other free agency as well. But I will go for a different team to start off with. I'll go for the Cleveland Browns. And it's not because 
Really? Yeah. Like in isolation, I don't love any one of their moves, but I think the strategy is smart. I think the Browns have essentially gone out there and they've attempted to, depending, so you can couch this in a few different ways, right? You can say they are trying to eliminate all possible variables so that in 2020, all they are judging is the performance of Baker Mayfield and they're judging it fairly because now there isn't a question about whether you know, his tackles are the problem or his, the, the offensive scheme is the issue and all these kinds of things. So they go out there and they throw money at the clear best long-term future option on the offensive line in, in Jack Conklin. So Conklin, whatever you think about where he is versus where PFF says he is, he is an extremely solid right tackle who will immediately solve that problem. Um, they bring in Austin Hooper, and I know we've talked before about how he's kind of fool's gold to an extent because of the way his production has come about, and they gave, they paid him a lot of money. I think in isolation, they've kind of overpaid for him, but that offense runs a lot of two tight end sets. Um, they needed extra tight ends. They needed extra fullbacks because of the way Stefanski likes to run that offense. They've added those in free agency. So again, sure, you've overpaid to do it, but this is a crappy tight end draft. It's a crappy free agent group as well. So you kind of have to just throw money at it, answer the problem, move on. So they've done that. They've got Austin Hooper who won't, you know, set the world alight, but he gives you that extra tight end so you can run your offense. So again, the focus shifts back to Baker Mayfield. So, you know, I think obviously everyone knows where PFF stands on Baker in terms of him having the ability to do all that. So the other way of looking at this is the Browns are setting him up to succeed in 2020. And I think either way, whichever way you look at it, I think they're doing smart things this offseason. Yeah, if you look at our improvement index over at PFF.com, nice little piece by uh, Kev Cole here that he put together you know, just some some rough estimates on first year war and what that team uh, may, you know, how, how much that team may have improved. Um, granted, we're not looking long term necessarily, and any criticism of the Browns moves would be more on the long term, the money for Conklin, the money for Hooper in particular. Uh, but the Browns are number four on that immediate improvement index. The Cardinals, who you mentioned, yeah, they're number one. We can get into them a little bit more, I guess. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little back and forth on the Browns moves. I, I do like the idea of, yes, you have to build around uh, Baker Mayfield. I thought it was definitely a lot of money for Conklin and for Hooper. Uh, but I thought there was some some solid under the radar deals, the Kevin Johnson deal, the Carl Joseph deal. I thought, those, you know, Andrew Sandejo, we talk about volume additions in the secondary. Those I really like. Mm-hmm. And those, uh, you know, that's the way to attack. I think the secondary is with with value and guys that at least at some point have had some success during their careers. Yep, I, th- I think it's true. I like look, I I don't think any of them are amazing moves, but I think the overall they speak to a coherent strategy this offseason, which is something you can't say for every NFL team out there. I think free agency in particular causes a lot of teams to go kind of crazy and just start throwing money at things and, and trying to solve immediate you know, uh, acute problems. The Browns' entire offseason is so far is speaking to a broader strategy, which coming off the kind of season they had, I think is really smart. So who is your, uh, who's your first big-time winner? Well, I had the Cardinals on my list. We both had them. Do you want to just – let's grab another team. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think – Cardinals, good job. DeAndre Hopkins added – they didn't do a, a ton other than kind of fleece the Texans. Yes, Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to go Baltimore Ravens here. 
they, they, not every move was great, but I think a team that had uh, obviously strengths up and down the roster, uh, you know, stealing Calais Campbell at the very beginning uh, with the trade to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a fifth rounder. Uh, they probably overpaid for Michael Brockers just a little bit. Bringing Matthew Judon back on the franchise tag, I don't hate. You know, franchise tag over like one year overpays, I'm generally okay with. Uh, so not a huge deal there, even though we wouldn't lock up Judon long term like that. Again, that but the franchise tag to me is a really nice jo- way to buy you time to get the replacement. And they didn't necessarily have a replacement for Judon, so they put the franchise tag on him. So. Uh, that and just no other crazy major deals. I mean, we, we've also learned from free agency. Sometimes just maintenance is good. Sometimes restraint is good. And a lot of the better teams uh, had some restraint throughout free agency as well. So uh, I thought the Ravens just did a, a good, solid job so far. So the other thing that's interesting about the Ravens is they have, again, when you talk about the sort of broader strategy thing, when you look at the players that they so they lost um, Michael Pierce, they potentially might be moving on from Brandon Williams, though he's obviously still there. Um, and if you if so, their defense has been kind of interesting because they've been moving down this positionless defense kind of road for a while, um, and it's been on the back end. But right in the middle, you've had these two fire hydrant you know, bowling ball type defensive tackles that all this, this was built around. Now, if you essentially substitute those two guys for Brockers and Calais Campbell, they're still the same pieces in that both those guys are dominant run defenders. I think they bring more from a pass rushing standpoint than the two guys they would potentially be replacing. But even if you just look at them in terms of like for like replacements, they're, they're dramatically different shaped human beings which potentially gives you a lot more versatility. Like you can move Calais Campbell and Michael Brockers around the defensive front in a way you couldn't really move Pierce and um, Pierce and, and Brandon Williams because those guys are basically just moonlighting and no, moonlighting at other positions when they're realistically nose tackles. Yeah, it's a huge point. And, you know, the idea of positionless football is easier on the back end uh, we, I wrote the article last year about, hey, Earl Thomas is playing in the box more this year than he ever has. And, uh, you know, their linebackers are blitzing like crazy. They're blitzing over 50 percent of the time. Uh, their safeties are playing like linebackers. It's just blurring the lines. And they have now blurred the lines up front on the defensive line as well. So multi-gap type of uh, type of assets up front, which I like. So. Uh, all right, your turn. Give me another winner so far in free agency. Um, so I like uh, let's. So I'm going to give you one that doesn't really count, but I, I want to throw it in there anyway, just to mention it. So given the situation the Dallas Cowboys found themselves in heading into free agency, which let's be clear was entirely by their own making. The you have your number one wide receiver and your quarterback about to hit free agency at the same time, along with your cornerback and other problems. To be able to at least retain those guys, I think is important, and let's call it damage limitation. So you can kind of you can spin the Dallas Cowboys free agency relatively well, but the team I think that's worth actual praise is the Oakland Raiders, and it's been a while since I've praised the Oakland Raiders. I haven't generally loved the way this new regime has Which, been building. Where are they from? Sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders. God, I'm not. I'm not that's going to be the the San Diego Chargers again for a while. 
The Las Vegas Raiders, um, I think they've quietly gone about doing some pretty smart things. Um, they, they've added a couple of linebackers that I think are both significant upgrades. You get Corey Littleton, who was you know, the best coverage linebacker in the NFL over the past couple of seasons, or at least right up there with the Luke Keekleys and the Eric Kendricks. Um, they didn't pay a huge amount of money to get him. That, I think, is one of the best value signings in all of free agency. You bring in your boy, Nick Kwiatkowski, Again, pretty cheap deal, should be a significant upgrade. And then they've just been sort of ticking off, you know, depth or lower value um, type additions. You got Nelson Aguilar, who I think is the type of receiver that's well worth taking a shot on as a guy you can integrate into your system and get rediscover the form of. Um, Carl Nassib, same kind of idea, a guy that you can have as a decent depth guy in your rotation. Marcus Mariota is the perf is the the typical all right, we're kind of hedging our bets with this quarterback. We're we're stuck with him, but we're going to roll. We're going to get a backup that's viable, and we can potentially do the same thing that happened to Marcus Mariota this year, which is six weeks into the season. It's like, look, your play is just not acceptable. We're going to your backup. The only move that I hate is the Jason Witten move, which just serves no purpose other than reuniting, you know, Monday Night Football alums. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, Sam. I, I think a lot of those deals, uh, they're not crazy from a money standpoint. Obviously, you know, Littleton got locked up for a lot of money. I don't love a Carl Nassib deal. You know, we did a lot of work. I was right in there ranking a lot of these guys with uh, in our free agent rankings. There are so many of those just middle-tier edge defenders right now in the league. I don't love locking him up for, you know, three years, $25 million, you know, $17 million guaranteed. Um, but again, you can't like every single move. It's a lot of middle class type of signings uh, that can pay off. So that that part I like. That's the very Patriots like strategy that uh, has worked for them through the years. Um, I'm with you on Aguilar. Eli Apple's worth a shot at corner. Uh, you know, throw assets on the back end. Great. And here's the other thing. They've got those two first round picks. They have uh, good good positioning in the draft. I wanted them to double up at wide receiver. I think all of these moves allow them to potentially double up at wide receiver and really attack that position. They don't have to double up, but man, but I love to see those playmakers added to a Darren Waller, added to a Nelson Aguilar and really get Derek Carr throwing the ball down the field a little bit more efficiently. So um, I, a lot of those defensive moves, I think uh, allow them a little bit of, of draft flexibility. And that is a big part of free agency is being able to, uh, like, as you said, check off a bunch of those needs along the way so you don't go into the draft saying, I have to get a safety or I have to get a cornerback. So I'm with you on Las Vegas and the Raiders. That's a, a pretty nice job so far. I think that's that's what free agency should be. It's about it's about fixing glaring needs so that you don't roll into the draft boxed into a corner having to target specific things because the draft is hard enough to identify talent without essentially eliminating yourself from half of the potential drafting pool and saying, no, we have to force a certain position, otherwise we're screwed. All right, my next winner, another team that we never compliment. They just got voted the best fan base in all of football, Sam. <laughs> Hashtag Bills Mafia. The Bills have done a really nice job. Yeah. What do you want, Teddy? Uh-oh. Teddy wants to come. Is this uh, our moment? Well, so Teddy, Teddy is one of my kids named after Vikings. He's upset 
That's Stephon Diggs got traded to the Buffalo Bills. Understandable. So he is not happy about that. Uh, Stephon Diggs addition, well worth the first rounder and a few late rounders that they gave up. And hi guys, nice. we're we're live. We are live say with hi the kids, and then leave. <laughs> this is your moment. No, you got to like take advantage <laughs> we're of it. On the trip. You got like the the dude from you know the guy who was this in his business what... suit when his kid ran in, and the the mother runs in after him, like hauls him out. This is your moment. This this is it. This is how this we is go viral on the trampoline. That's it. Thanks, guys. Nice. So I'm a big fan of what the Bills have done. Thanks for t- tuning in, guys. Thanks for joining the pod. Now you guys have to go downstairs. All right. Uh, Stephon Diggs' addition has been fantastic. Um, and then they've gotten some of those, well, you know, worth a shot take uh, on, uh, worth taking a shot on types of guys. Josh Norman for one year. Quentin Jefferson, uh, depending on the money there. Big body up front. Vernon Butler. Maybe a little bit too much money for a guy that hasn't produced yet, but he hasn't had a ton of opportunities with the Panthers bringing in Mario Addison. I mean, it's all, it's all former Panthers up there mm. really. Um, but, but Stefan Diggs is the key there, yes. right? I mean, it's, it starts and ends with Diggs and really turning that into maybe the best receiving core in the NFL now. Yeah. And this is one of those moves where, you know, the, if you're going to be, so the draft is all about not forcing a need, but if you know, you probably want to spend your first round pick on a receiver, why not spend it on one that's already a proven star at the next level and send it in trade collateral to a team like the Vikings and get a guy like Diggs? Now, even if you have to pay Diggs, it's a good deal. But the Vikings had Diggs you know, attached to this pretty team-friendly contract, so they don't necessarily have to pay him. They can keep him um, going along on that contract. And at that point, it becomes an absolute steal because he's on a really good value contract and... He is a proven star. He can win at all levels of the defense. He can win with every way you want a receiver to win, whether it's speed, whether it's quickness, whether it's after the catch, whether it's contested catches, which you wouldn't think for a guy of his size and and build. But that is a phenomenal way to spend a first-round pick. And to be honest, the rest of it is kind of noise in terms of picks. They're fourth, fifth, you know... if you look at the list of players that's been drafted in the past few years in the fifth round, you might as well be burning those draft picks. So if you're attaching them to a trade that's a first-round pick, the first-round pick is the important thing. The rest of it is just filler. Well, I think it depends on how you use those. We've seen around the league. I just complimented the Clayus Campbell pick uh, or, or, uh, trade because it was a fifth-round pick. So the Vikings are actually sitting here, and I know you don't like what the Vikings have done, but the Vikings are sitting there with an extra fourth, fifth, and sixth now. And it's not about the guys you pick. It's how you maybe swing those picks for a project tackle or a Calais Campbell who's randomly available or a Jarrell Casey. So if you could pair those late-round picks with having cap space, they could be useful. Yes. I'm not. So I think from a, from a bill standpoint, though, Good. It's a good short-term move. The risk here, though, is that there is actually a, a receiver available at that area. At that area, that is not exactly Stephon Diggs, but maybe eighty percent, ninety percent of Stephon Diggs. And then you lose a little bit of that draft capital later. You lose a little bit of that flexibility. Your depth could take a hit two or three years from now. That's the only risk with, I think, a trade like this, which seems like it's just four, five, six. Just throw them in. 
it could hurt a little bit down the road, but I do like it overall. So I think the the thing that the the, the thing that differs the late round picks in terms of like first round picks have universal value, right? Because everybody gets use out of them. Everybody has a everybody has a use for a first round draft pick that should effectively turn into a new starter, a new superstar. Fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, their use is not in the draft. Their use is for actually converting those into veteran players that other teams want rid of. And the problem with that is in order for that to be in order for that to be a reality, you also need the cap space to be able to take on those contracts, right? Because the reason a guy like Calais Campbell is available for a fifth is because the Jags want to purge their roster of bloated contracts and they want rid of what they're paying him. So for the Vikings to be acquiring those picks, that would be great if they had the cap space to sign two or three proven veterans towards the end of their contracts who are getting paid more money than their original team wants to pay them, but they don't have that space. So for the Vikings, fourth, fifth round picks are in and of themselves useless. Now, if they want to package those to start moving up in the third or the second, fair enough. But, you know, they're, they're fundamentally a lot less valuable to a team like the Vikings than they are a team that has a ton of cap space to be able to play with. Cap space moves quickly, though. It'll move quickly. All right. So it's, it's just flexibility. Like, you know, the last thing that you said. All right. Give me another uh, winner in your eyes. Another winner. Who else have I got? I have the so the Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers, not the uh, San Diego Chargers. Still, Um, I really like what the Chargers have done. So, okay, look, they're this is framed around the um, what we already knew heading into the free agent period that they're getting rid of their quarterback, right? They're parting ways with Philip Rivers. They have made the determination that he doesn't really have a long-term future there. It's kind of tough to argue that given how he played last season. Um, but so you're, you're moving on with quarterback, whatever. They've said they're rolling into 2020 with Tyrod Taylor. In reality, I think the chances are they're drafting his replacement, you know, whenever the draft happens um, or they're going after Cam Newton when he becomes available, whatever. I don't think they're actually rolling with him. But look at what they've done, right? They've re-signed Austin Eckler to a reasonably moderate deal for a phenomenal receiving running back. They've signed Brian Bulaga, who, when he's healthy, is a top tackle and a guy that un- unquestionably upgrades one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. You put the franchise tag on Hunter Henry, you keep him around, you bring in Linval Joseph, who is definitely on the downswing of his career or has been the last couple of years, but again, is a big upgrade over what's already been there. And you bring in Trey Turner and trade. And I mean, that shouldn't be anything other than an upgrade, even though it's been a while since Trey Turner played his best football. So and then Chris Harris, obviously being the marquee signing, right, which gives you the potential to have a truly spectacular, versatile uh match up secondary on the back end. So I'm completely with you on all of those non QB moves. They're all fantastic. I think there it is. There is a chance that the payoff there is as good as any other teams in free agency. I mean, it really is. If Bulaga plays and he's a top 10 right tackle and Harris comes back to his top five cornerback form, Hunter Henry coming back, Linval Joseph, to your point, not the same guy, but man, their interior D, their O line overall, and their interior D line has been like a five to ten year issue right. there. It's just been bad forever. So even just having a slight upgrade there, 
great. A lot of good things there. Still have to figure out the quarterback. It's tough for me to put them in the winner circle because they were in the Tom Brady sweepstakes. They lost out there and they're rolling with Tyrod. And now they might just force their hand and say, hey, it's Justin Herbert. You know, he's our guy at six overall. So um, they have a chance to, you know, to make this even better uh, if they maybe tried to sign a Jameis or make it, you know, some other sort of splash QB move that they could construct. But um, I love all those moves in general as well. Do you think they'll be what do you think they'll do a quarterback then? I think they're going to draft somebody. Um, I think, I mean, again, it it all comes down to sort of where they are and their evaluations of these guys. But if they love Tua, I think they could definitely get into the Tua sweepstakes. I don't think he's going to last till six, but they could start being in that trade conversation with other teams and try and get up there. The, The big, like the question mark with this Tua stuff is we're probably going to be in a situation where everybody's flying blind a little bit in terms of his medical you know, he had the combine medical and that apparently came back all good. But what does it look like in a month's time? What does it look, you know what I mean? Like there is, there are big um, question marks regarding his sort of long-term uh, recovery that teams probably aren't going to get to be able to answer with this whole lockdown stuff. Yeah, definitely some question marks there, and I, I still it'll be interesting because it could still be a ba- it could still be a battle for teams to go get them because I do think there is a drop off to the Herberts of the world. So um, let me wrap it up. One more winner for me: Philadelphia Eagles. Really like what they did on a couple different fronts here. When it comes to free agency, if you're going to lock people up long term, you'd rather that they're in their twenties. So when you get a Javon Hargrave for three years, 39 million, and he's about 26 years old, I like that, right? So you get the guy for the prime of his career. And then the rest of their signings, they let Malcolm Jenkins go, but bringing back Rodney, Rodney McLeod, you essentially replaced Malcolm Jenkins with your boy, Will Parks, who could play a similar, similar role, play some traditional safety, cover the slot, cover tight ends. The Darius Slay trade for a third and a fifth, absolutely fantastic uh, you know, take a shot on Slay. I wrote I wrote him up on uh, on Friday, and some of the nuance behind the grading. We could talk about that in a second. Um, and then taking shots on guys like Jatavis Brown, who hasn't been great in the NFL, but has coverage skills. He's one of those safety linebacker hybrids. And then turning your boy Jalen Mills into a safety. I mean, they just essentially signed four, three actual safeties, and one guy who is a safety body playing linebacker. Like they are moving. To this, you know, we're going to play 12 safeties out there because coverage versatility is where it's at. Don't laugh at Jalen Mills. Don't call him my boy. He's the guy I wanted him to get rid of, and somehow they wind up getting him back and just changing in <laughs> positions. Um, summarize your, your Darius Slay thing for me, because we took, and by we, I mean PFF, took a whole bunch of crap on Twitter because we put out, you know, the, the sort of player card series that we were doing for all these signings, and it highlighted slays rank and grade last season which was the worst of his nfl career um and you know people were like oh he's not the x ranked cornerback he's way better than that like well yeah we think so as well so summarize your darius slay thoughts so i started it out with a line that a colleague for uh, a player in the nfl gave me and he, he asked me about his grade one time and it, i was it, it wasn't a good grade that i was about to convey to him and I was like, well, you know, I was trying to give all these caveats. Well, we do this, so we do that. And I was trying to, like, 
butter him up a little bit before I told him he was poorly ranked. And he was like, I don't care. He's like, the grade's the grade. You know, that's what it is. You know, so in other words, you guys are doing your job. You're doing it objectively. You're putting the grade on and it is what it is. Um, and so I think we still have to we put out the fact that he was 83rd or whatever last year. The grade was the grade. It was legitimately this is how he played last year in the situation he was in. So now let's go back and see the context. Was he a little bit hurt? Was he a little bit banged up? First of all, yes, maybe. Right. Secondly, he's playing the th- he's the last two years since Matt Patricia took over third most single coverage snaps, one on one snaps of any corner in the NFL. So he's been go- he's gone from a more of a zone heavy scheme throughout most of his career, a couple different schemes that were zone heavy to one of the most man heavy schemes in the NFL. Plus, he started to shadow some of the best receivers. He's facing Amari Cooper. Uh, he's facing Devontae Adams twice. He's facing Stephon Diggs. He's facing really good players and in one-on-one situations. And when you go look at cornerback grades in one-on-one situations, it is a disaster when they're targeted. And Slay was you know, not great in those situations, but it was actually very much in line with the rest of the NFL. So his skill set, where he has graded really well, 2014 to 18, has been more zone-heavy schemes, eyes on the quarterback, can play cover two. Three, four, six, a little bit of man when you need him to. So his best bet is in a versatile scheme, a scheme like what the Eagles like to do. He should play better. And all of that added up to say coverage is also the most unstable metric that we have, meaning it is dependent on who you're playing against, what the quarterback does and what your role is. So when you're evaluating a cornerback using PFF grades, I encouraged our readers Uh, our subscribers to PFF Elite, I said, go to Premium Stats 2.0 and don't just look at the last year. Look at the full body of work. Use two years, three years. For Slay, when you go back to 2014, he's been our number four most valuable cornerback using war, which is driven by the grades. So there's a whole bunch of nuance that goes into this, and maybe it's our fault for putting out last year's grade, but I go back to the grade is the grade. This is what he did last year, right? Yeah. So the other point I would make is... so funny, Sam? I'm just saying it is kind of our fault. Um, the other point that I would make is it's been a long time since I've seen somebody give up that many catches in incredibly tight coverage. And it was kind of like, so obviously if anytime you can, you know, bring things back to you and relate it to yourself, it's, it's always, it's always worth doing Steve. So if I, can, if I can bring you back to my uh, truncated basketball career for a moment, now that we're locked down, um, when I was saying that used to what frustrates the crap out of me about playing defense in basketball is that you can play D really well and somebody's still just consistently draining points over you, right? Like it's it's one of those things where you have to accept that you're just making a difference to the percentages, and you you know you're going to give up a ton, but you are changing it from seventy five percent shooting to sixty five percent shooting, and that's making a material difference. And just that mindset frustrates me in no end because I'm used to playing sports where if you play defense really well, you can legitimately stop them. Um, but cornerback play is kind of like the same thing, right? It's that you can have phenomenal coverage and yet the perfect throw and the perfect catch is still going to beat you. And depending on how that goes, you can have a run of those things and suddenly you're just getting completely screwed. So I think Slay even though the grade has been a lot worse in this man-heavy scheme, I think he's actually done a really good job in it. It's just that he keeps getting hosed at the catch point. Guys keep making plays. Look at the receivers he's going up against. Cooper, Adams, Diggs, those guys are just making catches that most receivers would not make. And A, 
I think if he kept going, even in the same scheme, I think it would swing back in the other direction because it's happening at two at an unsustainable level. And B, if you remove all of that and you just say, right, you're going back to playing in a different scheme that's that's easier and having easier assignments, your your grades immediately better right off the bat. Yeah, so I think when you add all that up, we're expecting Slade to bounce back. He's reunited with uh, uh, Jim Schwartz, who was the Lions head coach when he got drafted in 2013, for whatever that's worth. He only played about less than 300 snaps in his scheme, but there's some familiarity there. And the Eagles have had a revolving door of mediocrity at the cornerback position the last couple of years. Yeah. So um, that should be an upgrade for them. I like what the Eagles did both. From a veteran standpoint, a couple one-year deal flyers, and when they did lock somebody up, it was Javon Hargrave, who is fairly young. Uh, do you want Do you want to throw one more winner in there, or do you want to get to the guy to the teams we don't feel as great about? I'm out of winner, so who else have you got that you want to throw a little uh, honorable mention to? I, I, all I said was short-term the Colts. I think short-term adding DeForest Buckner, Philip Rivers short-term wins mm-hmm. combined with a roster that's been built for the long term. So I think that balance, you know, the, the diversification of funds, so to speak, uh, from a you know financial standpoint has been good because they've done such a good job from a long-term team building standpoint, they could afford some of the um, boomer bust type of moves like DeForest Buckner and Philip Rivers. And then on the other end, I've been saying the 49ers, I love the fact that they traded Buckner and they just kind of retains their own, and we're pretty quiet during free agency, and sometimes less is more. Dude, the other thing about this uh, this webcam setup at the moment, I don't know what is happening with the lighting in in my setup, but I I don't have coronavirus to the best of my knowledge. Should I just put it? It's it's being made look that way. What do you look through, like? Right, I look like death. I don't. You're all right. I got like right. weird ass. I I went and bought a so. My wife invested in a trusty um, light for my laptop. Okay. But apparently the lifespan on this thing's about 10 minutes. <laughs> so I had it for the beginning of the pod. Huh. And now it's dead. Yeah. So uh, the lighting still looks uh, more we'll flattering on you than it does me. Well, again, probably oh, user error. Since, your part. since we're getting right. into the losers section of this, I, I would like to make a couple of things clear because this is apparently. This is. A, this is a couch, not a bed. So this is not my bedroom that I'm doing this from, right? Mm. And then the second thing I would like to make clear is it's not my parents' basement. It is my basement. So this is where I'm doing this you're, from you're in, this, in this world of, you know, coronavirus. My own basement, which I own, not a parent's basement. Because apparently some Jets offensive you, uh... linemen were pretty upset that we called them trash. Oh, the linemen themselves yeah. were mad at you? George Fant. George Fant was taking shots, and then Con- Connor McGovern rode to the rescue. You know. I mean, McGovern, great. He's pretty good. He's a good player. Uh, we had a saying in minor league baseball, Sam, yeah. which might be relevant for some of the guys the Jets signed. If you don't like it, play better. Sure. And also, you know, I, my, my background might be better if someone had thrown me $10 million a year to do nothing. Wow. I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Look, I could do a terrible job for 10 this million is my a year own as well. This is my own attic. Bought it myself. Nice. My own, uh, not my parents' attic. My own office slash attic. All right. Let's get into the teams we don't like as much. I noticed you didn't put the Jets on there. Good job. Save some space. <laughs> you already handled that. We already did that. Um, 
I don't hate the fact that they've thrown a ton of resources at the O-line, but I know you've got a full article on that coming out this week anyway to really double down and piss them off. So give me the teams that you think could have done better. We won't call them losers, but we don't agree with everything that they've done. Yeah, and yeah, I, look, I don't, I don't love any of the signings the Jets have made, but I appreciate they're in a tough spot. Their line needed a complete overhaul, and they've attempted to overhaul it. But, you know, it's just it's tough sledding. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I think the Detroit Lions, I don't, I don't love what they've been doing. Um, the, so we've t- said this a few times about a few different places, but sometimes you see people get a shot. And it's like they're just trying to emulate badly what they've come from. And it's like, you know, ugh. so you've got Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia coming from the Patriots. It's like, well, we've seen how the Patriots turn all these guys into phenomenal players. Let's just take all of their off, off casts. So we bring in Jamie Collins, we trade for Daron Harmon. Like it's, you know, come on. Like this is not, you can't I think, th- but I think those are good moves. You can't I disagree with you on that. I think those are good moves. I don't know that Jamie Collins Here's is the- a good move on the basis of the only where he's been successful is new England. I don't, I don't necessarily think that you have the ability to do what they did because I haven't seen it yet. I would, I would look at it differently though with Collins. It's not so much the location. It's the system, the scheme, the usage pattern. He went to Cleveland and they essentially tried to make him an edge defender which he was in college. They, they, they put him in Greg Williams' system, which was completely different, and, and tried to have him completely change his role. They did, they did then Team move him back do, off the ball, and he still was bad. Yeah, I understand that, but still, different system, different scheme, different... You know, the Patriots, he's a good blitzer and pass rusher for a linebacker. He's also not a guy you're going to rush 30 times a game. So they moved him back to linebacker. He was still too much of a hybrid there like the, he's been used much better within the belichick scheme so the at least with him and deron Harmon's been a honestly i think that was a good deal for the lions i think a fifth it, round pick for a guy that you know is a good free safety i think that in and, I, in and of itself is a good move right the fact that it's just assembling old patriots players is bad so you got jamie collins you got deron all, Harmon. all i'll say all i'll say about the, that though is that when part of the risk of free agency is when guys change teams, they're going into a new environment, new ecosystem, new new system in general, and you can mitigate that a little bit if you at least know, hey, I coached this guy before, and I know how I'm going to use him. So you can at least mitigate some of the uncertainty by putting him in the same system. And I thought for Collins and Harmon, those are good moves. You've also got bringing in Danny Shelton, and here's the thing, right? This is not the same system, right? You remember the way, so. Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan ostensibly ran the same defense for years, but Rob Ryan's defense always felt a little bit like the, the Ryan family had kept or kept back, like the back three pages of the playbook. And it's like, you get almost all of it, but we're going to keep the three pages at the back to make everything function. This is kind of what Matt Say Patricia... Buddy and Rex were hogging the rest of the playbook? Yeah. This is kind of what... That's what it felt like all the way along. It's like Rex's defense actually functioned and Rob's, eh, they did the same things, but it never really worked. This is how I feel about Matt Patricia, right? It's like we've gone from New England and we're sort of like, I understand the principles. We run man coverage a ton and we get these sort of containment edge rushers and this is how, and it just doesn't work yet. Now, maybe that's because they haven't been able to install the personnel yet. And this is all part of this. Maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. And these are the key players that will transform the Lions into the Patriots defense. On the other hand, maybe this is going to look like a bad imitation of what Belichick does all the time. 
and simply assembling all the players that the Patriots were happy to let go from that defense is not going to make it function the way you think it will. So when we, you know, my, my theme in this show has been about broader strategies for roster building, right? And this just feels like a terrible broader strategy to just bring in all of the low-level players that clearly weren't integral parts of a defense that is really good and expected to make the difference between yours not being good and being really good. No, that's a fair point. I understand that. I think also the drop-off from Rick Wagner at right tackle to Vitae could be a rough one. That was going to be my next point, is that they also signed Vitae at right tackle. Yes. And uh, Desmond Trufant, he's... Uh, he was really good in 2014 and 15. Yeah. And since that time, he's been just okay and injured. Yes. Um, so he's worth a shot, but it's a better shot if, like, you still have Darius Slay and you want Trufant to be the number two. In Again, in this man-heavy scheme that likes to play matchups, if Trufant's matchup is the number two matchup, I feel better about it. If he's the number one matchup, that's different. But it also, you know, they might have to draft Jeffrey Okuda to kind of make it all work there. Yeah, 100% agreed that I don't dislike honestly almost all of these moves i don't dislike in isolation it's the broader strategy that i disagree with so true fun i think this entire offseason everywhere is all about like cornerbacks that could be really good but it's a gamble and i think true fun is one of those he's an outstanding guy to roll the dice on but don't don't substitute darius slay who has proven to be really good for the guy that you're not sure is if he's good or not at all if he was coming in to compete with Owarie and, you know, maybe another guy that you draft and be this sort of one of those three is going to become a second viable number two cornerback, that would be outstanding. But you've gotten rid of the one sure thing you had over here, and now everything is a question mark. All right. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little, I'm more uh, lukewarm on the on the Lions in lukewarm. general. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to start with one of my losers. I'm going to say the Patriots yeah. right now. I think the Patriots for a couple reasons, I think they miscalculated the Tom Brady situation. So it's not so much. What did they add and what they said? Did they subtract? They have sat there in previous years and quote unquote lost free agency, right? Like two years ago, they lost free agency after the 2017 season. Everybody left. They went to the Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler left and Deion Lewis left and all these guys left. And then the following year, they came back and won the Super Bowl. But They've they've gone through. I've talked about this a couple times. They've gone through ebbs and flows of their roster situation, but they've had Tom Brady as the X factor, and they've gone through ebbs and flows, mostly by sticking to their guns, by saying, "Here's the value we place on you. If it's too much, we're going to let you walk. We're okay with it, and we might take a slight hit in the short term, but long term, we're going to be okay." I think for New England, there's two places this year that are a little bit different. I think they miscalculated the Brady situation. They expected him to take another hometown discount, whatever it might have been. And now they're sitting there with $13.5 million on the books of dead money right now for Tom Brady. Miscalculated there. And then I think they compounded it by taking Joe Tooney, who's a fantastic left guard, but ultimately is a left guard. They franchise him. And now until they have a long-term deal in place, he's on the books for about $14 million. So a team that does not have a quarterback right now and is losing all their players, uh, which again is, is typical new England, right? Jamie Collins is gone and Kyle Van Noy, 
Danny Shelton, all these guys, right? Still already still have no receivers, still have no tight ends. But most importantly, they don't have a quarterback. So I think more question marks in New England than they've had in 20 years. You're not convinced by uh, three traits and two plays? Jared Stidham. Stop it. I saw that. <laughs> I saw it. So I, I, I agree with you in principle. Well, so look, anytime you lose Tom Brady, you're the loser in free agency until you show me what your alternative plan is. And at the moment, the Patriots are kind of Fair. incomplete grade because we don't know what their alternative plan is. Um, you know, are they are they going to target one of the sort of cast offs that are still available, whether it's Jameis Winston, whether it's Cam Newton, who's going to be available at some point? Are they going to try and resuscitate one of those guys? Are they legitimately tanking for Trevor? And, you know, basically, if you're rolling into this season with Jared Stidham as your starter, you're tanking for Trevor. I'm not buying the idea that Jared Stidham is some sort of secret weapon that only the Patriots know about. Um, like if they are rolling him out as a starter, if the, if the if the depth chart is Jared Stidham, Cody Kessler, and Brian Hoyer, you are tanking for the next draft. I don't care what how you spin that. That's what's happening. So, and honestly, I don't know that that's a bad thing either. So, the Patriots are kind of in this spot where, you know, maybe they I don't, I don't know if they necessarily miscalculated the Brady thing or if they just decided that at some point this needs to end. And this makes sense as a time, right? So Andrew Brandt was on the Ross Tucker football podcast the other day, and uh, he phrased it well that the, uh, the end of the Brett Favre era was much like this, right? It's, that, it's not that they decided that now's the time. So I've always kind of phrased this as, you know, the Packers basically reached a point where they just got sick of Favre's stuff, right? And said, all right, we'll make the decision for you this offseason. Bye-bye. He was like, that's not how it happened. It's just that we reached a year where we just stopped fawning. And, you know, every year it had been, oh, please, Brett, come back. We need you. You know, everything's great. We'll do this and that, and we'll make everything perfect for you. And then one year they just went, you know what? Screw it. If he comes back, great. If he doesn't, we're okay with that as well. So we'll just sit here and wait and see what happens. And to him, that's like, oh, where's the love gun? What, what's the story? I honestly think that's kind of what happened in New England as well. They, eventually, they just went, you know what? Let's see. If he decides now's the time, okay, we got to happen at some point. And if he doesn't, we'll take him back because, you know, it's Tom Brady. So I think they just decided well, that this Mike, makes sense. New England reporter, ESPN reporter Mike Reese, he did a good job. I think he kind of laid that out. And I think Burt Breer was talking about it a little bit, too. It was like a little game of chicken where it was like, all right, who's going to make the first move? And Brady wanted to be wanted and Belichick wanted Brady to come back with a reasonable offer. And neither guy really did. I think with the Packers situation, though, it was easier to stop fawning sure. when you had Aaron Rodgers there and not. And they didn't know that they had Aaron Rodgers the way he was necessarily. But they had a first round investment who was sitting there three years into his career on the bench. It's a lot easier to say, here's our first round pick who sat for three years. We're going to stop fawning the Patriots. <laughs> They had Jimmy Garoppolo for a few years, but Brady just kept getting better and better and better. So they did have a plan in place, but they haven't had a plan in place since then other than a fourth-round flyer on Jarrett Stidham. Now, I will fully admit, Jarrett Stidham was very impressive. Twice in, in Stidham's career, he's been very impressive. As a freshman <laughs> at Baylor, and then last year during the preseason, he was very impressive. Uh, he did look you know, comfortable within the system. He's, we already know he has an NFL arm. And the senior bowl, too. He was good. Um so I have no problem just like seeing what you have in Jared Stidham. 
But I'd say the other thing that Mike Reese uh, made a point about was it feels like a two-year reset in New England from a financial standpoint. It's not great this year. Next year it is. Um, a complete. So I think we are talking about uh, they completely reset the team in 2010. And, and the 2010 reset was like, oh, they drafted Gronk. They drafted Aaron Hernandez. They drafted Devin McCourty. And the whole franchise changed you know, for the next decade. They would need something else like that in the draft some other pillars to build on. Um, I, so from one perspective, I think if you're a Patriots fan, it, instead of being sad about Brady, maybe it's an exciting time, but it, it could be a painful time because Brady helps you through transitions with 10, 11, 12 wins. Whereas here, I, I don't know. They look like a five or six win team on paper right now. I don't know what type of magic Belichick can pull um, unless they truly just commit to this, to this two year plan. So, and I think there's um, a good for chance. Now we'll call them losers until yeah. the, I think there's a good chance they do unfolds because I think the Patriots are, you know, uniquely suited to attack a long-term strategy. Unlike any other team, they have that kind of breathing room to be able to say, okay, the greatest quarterback of all time just walked off into the sunset to Tampa. We don't have an alternative solution. I can get you one. It's just going to take 12 months to get here. So we are going to roll this year. We're going to do what we can. We'll suck and we will, everything will be focused on the following season, whether it's um, Trevor Lawrence, whether it's the next Joe Burrow to come out of nowhere, we are going to target a quarterback next year, not this year. And we're just going to have to suffer through 12 months of pain to do it. I think the Patriots are one of the only teams out there that would actually embrace that kind of strategy. All right. Who else do you not feel so good about so far through free agency? I don't like the Jags. Um, and honestly, this is kind of like, it's almost like the reverse of the Dallas thing, right? Where it's given where they found themselves, this is not the worst strategy in the world, but to even let yourself get to this point is just depressing. So the Jags obviously are in fire sale mode. They ship off Calais Campbell for a fifth round pick, which is essentially just a, a salary dump. You franchise Yannick Ngakwe, who doesn't want to be there. So now what do you do? You There doesn't appear to be tremendous amount of suitors in terms of trade because he was a guy with some question marks and he doesn't want to be there you probably aren't going to get a chance to lock him up long term because he doesn't want to be there so you're now just stuck with this inflated one-year contract for a guy who probably isn't going to go out of his way to dominate this year um you get rid of nick Foles, who okay (laughs) signing him to the bloated contract in the first place is a bad move but now You've answered your question as to what you do at quarterback by getting rid of one of them. And I don't like, look, Minshew was a great story last year. He's a phenomenal personality. The mustache is outstanding. There's a lot of things to like. And some of his play was good, but some of it wasn't. Like, we are a long way from being 100% sure we know that Gardner Minshew is the future and the answer in Jacksonville. Like, Minshew has less good tape for the Jacksonville Jaguars than Blake Bortles did. And Blake Bortles clearly wasn't the answer. So now look, Bortles had a lot more bad tape, but he's like, he had some good in there as well. So you don't know that you have a quarterback and you're building, you're sort of knocking everything down to start over. I just, at this point, what are the Jacksonville Jaguars other than a team like with no building blocks Yeah, uh, so they they're interesting because they were bad for 
about eight years, right? I mean, from 2011 through 16, they were bad. Seven, seven years of football, they were bad. And then it culminated in a 2017 run to the AFC Championship. And, it, and that occurred because they had so much, uh, so much talent just from drafting in the top 10 every single year. So the, I'm, I'm with you on, I think the issue is that they came into this point unable to sustain that, right? They had a very talented 2017 team with a, very, with a not very good quarterback, and they were unable to sustain and keep their own and, and just you know keep that going. So I think they are in a position where they have to, to restart, right? I mean, the Foles deal was bad last year at this time, but I do like the fact that they were able to flip Jalen Ramsey. There's a couple pieces of business that they've done that I think are good. Flipping Jalen Ramsey, getting quality play out of him on a rookie contract and still getting uh, multiple first-round picks back for him. I like the fact that uh, from a big-picture view, they got three awesome years out of Calais Campbell. They're not saddled to his contract, and then he's gone. I know it's just for a fifth-round pick, but he, you know you got three good years out of him without getting uh, destroyed by the cap. So there's a couple big-picture uh, items that I think they've done a good job with, and I think they should be surely you know right in that tank for Trevor type of mode. I think Minshew might be too good for that, though. You know, you still have a shot. You know, he was as impressive as Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, and any other rookie last year. And but we have to look at it through the same lens. Just because he wasn't a first round pick, you can't overrate what he did. And you have to say, okay, yes or no, is he the guy or not? And we don't know yet. But I think they're in a good position to kind of give him another shot. If it's not him, draft another quarterback next year. So I like the fact that they're in long term rebuild mode. But yeah, short term, it's uh it's not great. It's just trying to maximize what you can get from all these assets that they have left on the team. How much should draft position factor in to evaluation of quarterbacks like that? So you're right. The, the, there really isn't much to separate Daniel Jones, Kyla Murray, and um, Minshew, right? But you're dealing with essentially three different evaluations or two if you're Dave Gettleman. So the three different valuations for us being Kyla Murray – surefire first round pick number one overall player in the draft kind of caliber daniel jones there's some stuff to work with there's a lot of rough edges as well and eh, borderline you know top or second round guy maybe first round given the way the quarterback market is and then Minshew, accuracy a lot of limitations don't love him sixth round pick wherever you want to put him in the late sort of second third day stuff right now all three of those guys kind of played you know, similar in year one, you've got to A, adjust for the circumstances they were in, B, adjust for the playing time in, in uh, Minshew's case. But then how much do you actually weigh the fact that because we're dealing with small sample sizes for all of them, right? Like one season, even one whole season, there's not enough to have any idea necessarily what they're going to be going forward. Because you're already adjusting for that, how much do you also need to adjust for the fact that like the other stuff didn't just disappear. Like there is, there's previous play evidence to this that has to factor in. Right. So how much do you wait? How much does that drag down Minshew's potential like projection going forward? So the, the tricky part, I think for me is that Minshew was very successful in college in a lot of the stuff that translated to the NFL. I do think that there's value in the wisdom of the crowds model, so to speak. Whereas if the NFL we always joke about, oh, the NFL missed on this guy. They missed on that guy. But like we're talking the NFL over time 
is going to put the best quarterbacks in the first round. And then guys later in the rounds, they're, you know, they're, they're generally right. There's value in the wisdom of the crowds concept, right? And that is one of the things our guys actually use uh, when they're modeling this stuff saying, okay, PFF loves this guy, but the NFL doesn't or scouts don't or whatever it is. And there's value in those, in that, uh, piece of the evaluation, right? So instead of us going in and saying, this guy doesn't have a good arm, doesn't have a good NFL arm, whatever. If you take the, the essentially the evaluations of 32 other teams, all of that stuff's kind of like baked in and they're not complete idiots, right? So with the Minshew, it, it's a bit of a factor that you might expect some regression because the NFL didn't like him until the sixth round. Whereas with Kyler, it's like everybody agreed he was a first round pick has the arm and the skills, and he was really productive, that makes you feel better about his evaluation going forward. So it's tricky, but I think what the NFL thought about them as a consensus, not necessarily with Daniel Jones, it was kind of mixed. Mm -hmm. Some people thought he was, you know, so I think a lot of that stuff should be baked into the evaluation going forward as well. I think the other thing is um, for the ones where you definitely got it wrong, like where everybody was just wrong on a guy, you know immediately and you don't waver, like Russell Wilson, right? Anyone that thought Russell Wilson was and a mid-round Dak. pick, right, was immediately proved wrong and never looked back from the second he saw any kind of opportunity. Dak Prescott, the same thing, right? Preseason, right. it was like, oh, wow, we just got this wrong, and let's start figuring out why. And then that, again, never really changed. Now it's years two and three, we dialed it back a little bit, but even by that, it's still, we're, we're way off in terms of fourth-round draft pick. So as much as Minshew, like, you know, it's like, wow, this is surprising. There was still enough bad in there to be like, uh, you know, I don't know. That, I don't know yet that we've got this completely wrong. So I think his there's there's two things. There's two things I really liked about Minshew, though. Last year at this time, we were saying the Jaguars situation on offense is terrible. I mean, they don't have any receivers and the O-line is questionable. And he went out there and elevated them. And he was one of the best downfield throwers in the NFL. Ten plus yards. And he did that with, you know, what scouts would say is a below average arm, right? And our own scouting report said below average arm. So it wasn't th- – those are two things that I think are really, really telling when you look at his evaluation going forward. Now, all that said, my general strategy of find the quarterback, not a quarterback, you're still looking for the quarterback. But I do think there's as much of a chance, based off what we've seen from Minshew, that he's the guy just as much as Daniel Jones is the guy for the Giants. I, I believe that's the case. I think it's also encouraging that his biggest negative was holding on to the ball too long in the pocket. Not that that's a good thing, but that I think for young quarterbacks, that is something that improves over time. Like this idea of the game slowing down for them. I think where that manifests itself is they get rid of the ball quicker. They, they stop dawdling with it in the pocket. So if that's your single biggest flaw as a young quarterback, I think that's an encouraging thing. Um, my third loser was the Patriots, who we already covered. So what, who else have you got in the loser column? All right. So we already talked about the Cardinals on one end. The Texans have to be a loser on the other end, right? Because yeah. of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh mostly because of that. And again, I'll come back to the fact that the concept of trading DeAndre Hopkins, one of the most valuable receivers in the NFL at one of the most valuable positions, the concept is not bad. The return was bad, right? The concept of taking your most valuable piece, your biggest piece and trying to flip it for some other starters at key positions is not a bad strategy given where the Texans are. Like, I don't know that the Texans have a shot 
with the secondary. I'm just saying, it's the, the concept is not crazy. It's not like, LOL, you idiots. It, it's at least something that you should consider and put on the table. But the but the return has to be incredible. And the return for this, I mean, this is a bad return for a third wide receiver, never mind one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there are certain players at certain positions that I don't know that I would ever trade. Now, obviously, you know, certain trades change everything. Like if you come in, if somebody wants to come in and gives you the Ricky Williams trade, pretty much anybody is on the block. But in normal terms, like I, it would take an absurd, I wouldn't be listening to phone calls about trading DeAndre Hopkins. Like somebody would have to mail me an offer that I started reading before understanding what it was before I saw that there were five first-round picks attached to this thing, before I would even consider trading a guy like that. Because that is the player that you are trying to assemble with all this draft capital. So for a guy like Hopkins, there's almost no trade that I would make to get rid of him, particularly when you finally got the quarterback. Like, if you don't have a quarterback, that changes some things, right? Because ultimately, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins without a star quarterback is only going so far. But you have the quarterback in Deshaun Watson, so everything should be about assembling talent around him, not dismantling it. So I think almost regardless of what the offer is, trading away Hopkins is a bad move. Given the offer, it's absurd. Like, not only are the Texans the biggest losers from free agency, but I don't know that anybody has come out of a free agent period looking as bad as Bill O'Brien has in this period. Now, I don't, I, none of us were privy to what went on behind closed doors, but the reports from, of what did go on have not painted him in a particularly flattering light. And I mean, that's just, that's a tough situation to be in. Hopkins said it was overblown. I, I, I think generally a lot of that stuff is. So not even going to get into the things that were said. Uh, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm looking at the players that they added and I just had a thought, uh-huh. right? The crazy copycat NFL. And the Texans, you know, they had to try to get through the Ravens this year. They got destroyed by Baltimore during the regular season. We saw it, we saw what Lamar Jackson did in the designed running game, adding David Johnson at running back and adding Randall Cobb, who they paid three years, uh, 27 million over three years, by the way, for an aging Randall Cobb. Are the Texans going to try to not completely duplicate what the Ravens have done, but tap into Watson's rushing ability? a little bit more, throw a couple backs back there next to him, have a Randall Cobb who's been like a jack-of-all-trades back when he was, you know, in his prime. I'm wondering if they're going to devalue the pass game just a little bit, which would be a mistake given that they have probably a top-ten passer in the NFL and Deshaun Watson. I'm just wondering if that's something that they're looking to do. I mean, if it is, they're insane. Like, they – it's (laughs) – This would be the perfect example of sort of taking one data point and using that to guide your entire franchise. It's like we came up short because we're a worse version of the Chiefs. So let's pivot 180 degrees to doing the exact opposite (laughs) of what they do, because you can't beat them doing what they do. Be a worse version of the Ravens. Right. Let's be a worse version of the Ravens. That would just be a terrible, terrible idea. Um, By the way, if I asked you to guess how old Randall Cobb was, how, how old would you say? 32? Right. He's under 30. He is? Randall Cobb is 29 years old and will not turn 30 until August the 22nd. Feels much older, Sam. (laughs) He feels much older. Doesn't he? But then again, yeah, don't we all? 
I, I'm just I'm just watching that play out, and I'm wondering if that's actually going through their mind because they traded for Duke Johnson last year. At least if you're going to trade for a running back, have some some guys with receiving skills. All right. So, so you've got a hybrid Duke Johnson, you have a hybrid Randall Cobb, and you have David Johnson who can catch the ball. Now, now we're talking, right? Let's build an offense using this Texans group of playmakers that is genuinely unique, right? We are going to come up with three full-time hybrid players. David Johnson, Duke, uh, Duke Johnson, and Randall Cobb are all going to split time playing running back and wide receiver, and you're never going to know which one is in the backfield or which one is lining out wide, and Deshaun Watson is going to use a ton of these, those option carries, and you are going to have no earthly idea what the hell we're doing on any given snap. Hey, he said, hey, we're we're making the we're making do here without DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller is going to take the top off the defense. So honestly, if that was their strategy and they didn't take on crazy money with David Johnson and they got, you know, better return off DeAndre Hopkins, I would say, <laughs> hey, that's not that bad. They needed to. But my, my bigger issue is that their secondary is as bad as it gets around the NFL. And they got your guy, Bradley Roby, who we said, hey, he's worth a shot. Not a three-year, $36 million contract type of shot is the issue there. Uh, Eric Murray, okay, some depth there. Jalen Watkins, some depth. Vernon Hargraves, I still believe in Vernon. Five years of suck doesn't matter. He'll get better. No, I mean, seriously, they have not added enough. Philip Gaines, they haven't added enough in the secondary. Whereas if you were going to trade DeAndre Hopkins, I'm saying you better come out with a first-round pick or at least a, a number one cornerback out of that trade. Why do you keep attaching me to players that I've got no attachment to whatsoever? Bradley Roby is not my guy. He was just somebody I said might be worth rolling the dice for. I'm just saying on many pieces of content, you said that all I'm saying is you said he's worth a roll of the dice. I agree. All right. He's not worth a three year, $36 million contract. So the Texans are losers. So officially, um, let's pivot to wrap this up to the draft, right? Free agency is, it's not done. There's still, you know, a third wave to come. There's the last bargain guys. There's still a few big pieces still to tick off, the Judevian clownies of the world. But this draft is going to be unique because it's apparently still going ahead, albeit in a, you know, audience-less form. Um, but the big thing is now that, you know, everybody's on lockdown or various elements of the country are shut down, Ohio apparently is going into full lockdown midnight tonight right so nobody's going to be doing yeah. traveling pre visits workouts pro days all this kind of stuff is getting shelved what do you think that's going to do to the draft evaluation process first off i sent you an email that um mike renner wrote about uh filling needs after free agency through the draft could be good going through some of those um as we as we link it to the draft i'm going to say this there are some some less than stellar takes out there uh, for people that prop up the all-star games and, and other off season activities that if you missed an all-star game, let this be a lesson next time pandemic breaks out, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to uh, impress teams. There are some bad takes out there for people who think that the uh, all-star games are the uh, end all be all of off season evaluation. I think the issue will arise though. Uh, the one good point that that person makes though, is the character issue type of stuff guys that have any questions as far as character if you don't have the ability to dig into them they're probably just going to get pushed down and that's and that's the team's interpretation of your character i don't know if that's previous arrests or 
uh, football intelligence or whatever it might be. You play too many video games. However, they interpret things that we need to unlock during an interview process. Those will be more difficult because a lot of teams put a ton of value into seeing somebody one on one, not through, you know, Skype or Zoom or whatever it might be. Right. They like that. How are you going to do a grit test? Over over Zoom or Skype, how are you going to do it? Oh, so you're first round pick, Sam. Good job staring at me. First round pick. You win. Uh, so I think teams for, that have non football questions are going to lean on uh, the, what they know so far. The cleanest prospects overall. Um, I think that has to be the biggest factor, right? And, and that and then the small school guys that usually, you know, blow the doors off a pro day or whatever it is, maybe don't get a shot fourth, fifth, sixth round um, if you don't have those official testing numbers. I mean, I think that's a big thing, right? Small school guys or anyone that's anyone that relies on setting numbers at a pro day. And that includes guys that, you know, this year was an interesting year for the combine because the new schedule meant a lot of people sat out drills. And it's all, we'll just cover it in the pro day later on. Now a lot of those guys are not going to get a chance to cover it in the pro day. So I think we're, this is going to be an interesting draft in terms of a lot of pieces missing from the puzzle. And when you have missing pieces from the puzzle, ultimately you're going to have to go back to the tape and just trust what you saw. So I agree with you that the end result is going to be that the cleanest prospects, if you like, kind of get boosted up and anybody with any kind of red flag is going to get dropped down further than they normally would. Um, I think, I think ultimately teams will figure out a way to make the interview stuff work. Um, it's going to have to be, you know, over Skype or zoom or whatever. It's better than nothing, right? It's not ideal, but you can at least talk to him. You can get some kind of background. You can communicate with him and figure out what he's like. I don't know what they're doing yet in terms of, you know, you used to get 30 of these top visits to fly in. Is it like a free for all unlimited access in terms of zoom interviews? No, I think. They're documenting things. Everything needs to be documented. I think they're still going to do some sort of like top 30. Right. And then figure. I don't know if they figured out what the parameters are, but everything's got to be documented. And then the other thing is the medical stuff, right? Because a lot of the purpose for flying these guys in is to run them through your medical stuff and check them out and do all that kind of stuff. It's not like people are completely, you know, uh, segregated away from doctors like you know, the Tom Brady thing, right? In order to get a physical, they were going to coordinate on a New York doctor for him to go to and pass his physical, right? It's doable. So it just means that for guys like Tua or anybody else that has a medical question mark, there's going to have to be some kind of process where Tua goes to whatever his local orthopedic specialist is and gets run over. And that becomes the official medical go ahead for teams as opposed to their doctor running the rule over the whole thing. Remember, we talked to a team a few years ago. I believe it was for for Lyle Collins. Remember, he had all the he had all the eligibility stuff that ended up dropping him completely out of the draft. But before that even happened, we talked to a team that said he's off our draft board because of a hip condition, and and that's just their team rule. Is if we see this hip condition, he they're out. We just can't do it. And that was just one team out of thirty two. And I don't know. That could have been. The reality could have been 10 teams agree with that or four teams agree with that or 30 teams agree with that, whatever it might be. But it had to be their own evaluation to say, here's where we evaluated this guy's health, our and then our standards are yay or nay on this guy. So there's a lot of that stuff that probably needs to get adjusted. So any sort of medical concerns 
could make teams just say, okay, let me get this. Let me get the guy that I know is going to be healthy. He might be a lesser football player. So they, it could just be a safer draft overall. Mm. But at the same time, the teams that take more chances could get huge payoffs as well. The teams that say, look, forget the medical for a minute. I'm going to try to hit home runs. Or if I have 10 draft picks, I'm going to try to hit home runs on four of them. And I'll take the guy with medical issues or that we think is really fast but doesn't have official combine times or whatever it might be. Yeah, there are teams out there that you always see making – they halt the slides of players that you know are falling in the draft, right? There are guys that constantly slip down the draft further than everybody thinks they are. And there are consistently teams out there that like to stop the slide of a player that's, that that is happening to. So those kind of teams could have outstanding drafts this year, at least on paper, because – there's going to be a lot more of these guys, I think, that start to slip because of the, all this stuff. The other point to make about the medical stuff, right, is that everybody, I think, treats medical as like a black and white thing. It isn't. It's more artwork than that. And, you know, you only need to look at the evidence of the Drew Brees, Dante Culpepper free agency year, right? The Miami Dolphins coaching staff did not sign off on Drew Brees' shoulder injury and did sign off on Dante Culpepper's knee injury. Now, if, with hindsight, Drew Brees' shoulder injury was never an issue again in his career, and Dante, Cul Dante Culpepper was never the same player after that knee injury. So, you know, I'm, obviously the reverse is true with the Saints, at least in terms of Brees. They signed off on his shoulder injury, and everything is great. Those guys were looking at the same slides. You know, the, the medical information was the same, but the interpretation of it is more art than, than science all the time. And that's going to be the case here that, OK, you might be able to get a guy, you know, you might be able to get the MRI taken wherever. But the difference in interpretation is your doctors versus their doctors. It's a great point, Sam. I think it's I think it'll be really uh, fascinating to watch that play out. Uh, two recent draft picks that I think stand out on both ends there. The 49ers had two first round picks in 2017. Was it with when they got Reuben Foster? Um, they, they grabbed Solomon Thomas early Reuben Foster late first. He was a top 10 player on our board because he was a fantastic three down linebacker. They got one good year out of him, one bad year and a whole bunch of off season, uh, off field issues out of Reuben Foster. But at the time we're like, Hey, at 31 worth the risk, right? Taking him at the or is 31 or 32, taking him very late first round last year was greedy Williams with the Browns. A lot of question marks with him off the field. We had him as a top 10 type of cornerback talent. The Browns take him in the second round, still TBD on what the payout is there, but potentially huge payout, you know, pairing him with Denzel Ward uh, in Cleveland. Um, is there anything Renner's got this good article coming out as far as needs that still need to be filled. I'm going to start with the Browns at number 10 and things that they could do anything in the, Start, think about anything in the draft that you would like to see a need that could be filled or a player fit that's still out there. I'll buy you some time. I've already talked as before, I talk about the Browns at was, 10 when I was uh, doing up that charger chargers article. Everyone thinks they're drafting QB at six. If you gave them Jeffrey Akuda at six, that defense or that secondary, but also when you we pair it with the pass rush of Joey, <clears throat> Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, that secondary would be absurdly, A, absurdly talented, B, absurdly capable of matching up with, you know, weapons on offense. Even if the Texans went to this crazy, you know, hybrid offense where everybody plays two positions, that's the kind of defensive secondary that can match up with it because you got Desmond King that can play the slot or be safety. You got Chris Harris who can play the slot or out wide. You've got, you know, two legitimate outside perimeter 
cornerbacks in Casey Hayward and then Jeffrey Akuda coming on board. You've got Nasir Adderley who can play deep, who can cover the slot for tight ends or backs. They could basically match up with you regardless of what you want to do. And then you've got the most versatile guy in the back in Derwin James, who can be your dime linebacker, who can be you know, down in the box, who can rush the passer on the blitz, who can play deep. He can do everything. So if they got Jeffrey Akuda, that is like the one pick that I want to happen in this entire draft. If I can put one player going to one team, I want Jeffrey Akuda going to the Chargers defense and giving them this phenomenal, positionless, versatile matchup coverage defense. You're speaking my language, man, especially in that division with the Chiefs. Now, yes. I don't know that Akuda is going to last that long, so it could be a pipe dream. But whatever. Um, I know you wrote that up last week, right? You were sending me uh, your little diagrams of what that would look like. It was looks awesome. Yeah. If you could I do like that. Um, so the whole time, uh, my, my pre-draft plan for the Browns was to sign Jason Peters yeah. on the one-year deal and then draft, say, Andrew Thomas, our top tackle on the on our draft board from Georgia at 10 overall. I think Tristan Wirfs is going to be elevated a little bit, maybe above Thomas. I think Makai Becton might be elevated above him. I love Andrew Thomas. I still think that's a great fit for either the Browns at 10 or the Bucks at 14. That's who Renner um, put in his article, Andrew Thomas at 14 to the Bucks. But from a Browns perspective, now that they've locked up Jack Conklin at right tackle, man, if they could add Andrew Thomas or one of those top left tackles, I think they've taken massive steps forward on the offensive line, both in short and long term, you know, multiple years over there because they already have one of the best interiors. I think that would be a fantastic fit. I think the Bucks. everybody's going to be drafting for the Bucks right now, right? Everybody's doing I think we're doing it this week, too, from a content standpoint. Like, what should the Bucks do now that they have Tom Brady? Imagine if they are in the in the middle of this wide receiver sweepstakes, depending on how things fall, a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb or a Henry Ruggs. At 14, adding those guys to the mix because we keep talking about the playmakers that they have. They don't really have a good wide receiver number three there. Rashad Perryman's still on the free agent market. He was their third receiver last year. Adam Humphreys was the third receiver the year before. It's still a big question mark. What if they got one of the Jerry Judy's, C.D. Lambs, or Henry Ruggs of the world to add to that mix with the big bodied outside receivers and the two good tight ends and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait? Yeah, that would be pretty absurd. I mean, Judy in particular in that offense with his ability to play inside and outside with his like key calling card being separation, you know, which is obviously contrasted with Mike Evans. He's a, he's a skill set they don't have in that offense right now. Teaming up with Brady could be phenomenal. Your boy, another one of your boys, Emmanuel Sanders, who you tried to pair with a bunch of teams. He ends up signing with the Saints. Yeah. I like that pairing with Michael Thomas, and I still think receiver could be a spot late first round where the Saints play around. I think it was 24th overall pick. What about a Jalen Rager to them? 24th overall in the first round. Pair him with Emmanuel Sanders, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The Saints, uh, they've had Michael Thomas and basically nobody else for a while. I think they, Emmanuel Sanders is a big step in the right direction, A, it's a short-term step, but B, it doesn't answer all the problems. They can definitely add bodies, and this is a phenomenal receiver group. So I think there's still tons of fits for them to snag, whether it's first, whether they wait to the second or third. I think there's going to be talented receivers there to add and give them a skill set they don't, they still don't have with that group. 
All right. So the first wave, the 70, first 75% of free agency is just about over. There's still some players to go. You can keep up with everybody over at PFF.com, all of the top remaining free agents. It's also a huge day at PFF.com for our edge or elite users because the draft guide updated version is out. We've got I cannot believe how big this thing is. It's over 1,100 pages. Sam, over 1,100 pages. It's insane. So go check it out. If you have Edge or Elite, just uh, go check in your download section. It should be updated at some point today. Um, Renner's got some updates on uh, workouts. So we have uh, combine data in there. We have Senior Bowl stats, one-on-ones, and all the cool stuff that we do with the Senior Bowl. And then Renner's got a take on... Uh, the guys that did work out at the Combine, their athleticism, what it means, and, and how to interpret it. So it's fantastic stuff. If you have Edge or Elite, it's over there. And if you don't have Edge or Elite, the promo code's still live. PFF, I'm sorry, NFL 2020. NFL 2020. Get 25% off for a year's worth of access to all of our goodies. Edge and Elite subscriptions, 25% off. Use the promo. NFL 2020. So stick with us. And uh, Sam, what do you want to do Thursday? You want to go team by start team by team recaps of free agency? Uh, possibly, yeah. Let's see how the next couple of days shakes out in terms of more dominoes to fall, um, and then we'll get into you know team by team wrap up and outlook and project forward to the draft for needs and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's all it's all team building season. We'll talk. We'll continue to talk free agency, the trades and the draft going forward. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with us and all of our. Uh, work from home settings and hopefully this uh, will be the, uh, the best audio week. since we started this work from home thing i think in theory still no promises in Did theory I pre- we should have two this time? better audio streams as opposed to one from last time see how it goes all right guys thanks for tuning in we'll see you guys on thursday quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.